Greetings, and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and this episode features Econet News, Volume 24, Issue Number 10, October 2022. Flanagan's Ecologic, Visiting Alaska. Terry and I had been planning this cruise to Alaska for some time. As it is for many of us, we were startled when it was finally time to go. Already? Ah, the packing blues. Then Uber to Bob Hope Airport. We leave Burbank in the rain and are welcomed with sunny skies at SeaTac, the regional airport shared by Seattle and Tacoma. That weather combination is rare. It's usually the other way around, but we'll take it. A nice welcome to our trip north. A good omen? I'd be putting away my sunglasses soon. Air Alaska, Burbank to SeaTac, two hours and 20 minutes. Nice. SeaTac is among the greenest of airports, and we give it high marks for intermodal transport. Simple. We walk from baggage claim and take the light rail, the Sound Transit link. It costs us $2 each to go all the way from the airport to downtown Seattle. There are Astro fans on the train. We drop them off at the stadium. It's a calm, quiet, and efficient ride passing through neighborhoods. We emerge just a few blocks from our hotel. That afternoon, we hit Pike Place Market. It's alive with flowers, jammed with people. The fish markets are oh so fresh. There, Dungeness crabs are stacked artistically. We take chowder overlooking the harbor. Later, I trek many blocks in record heat to witness the Bullet Center firsthand. It's a remarkable demonstration building with the defining mortarboard solar array. Quote of the week. The state is huge and hugely rich in resources. What a remarkable deal. The United States purchased Alaska from Russia in 1857 for $7.2 million. Alaskan Geography. There's nothing average about Alaska, known as the last frontier. It is the largest state by far, made up of 665,400 square miles. That's huge. If overlaid on the continental U.S., it would stretch coast to coast. And it's as big as Texas, California, and Montana combined. It's equivalent to 488 Rhode Islands. Alaska is sparsely populated. Its population amounts to only 736,990 souls. It is the home of 224 tribes and 20 indigenous people. And for every 21 people, Alaska is home to one bear. Alaska holds many geographic distinctions. It is only 50 miles from Russia. It borders the Canadian province of British Columbia and the Yukon Territory. It is the furthest north state, the furthest west state, and when considering that some of the Aleutian Islands cross the international dateline, it's also America's easternmost state. Alaska has lots of water. It has around 3,000 rivers and around 3 million lakes. One of them, Lake Iliamna, is larger than the state of Connecticut. Glaciers are discussed in some depth later. Alaska has more active volcanoes than any other state, 40 of them. It is also home to 17 of the tallest mountains in America. It has a whopping 33,904 miles 
of tidal shoreline. It has a bald eagle population of over 30,000. The state is huge and hugely rich in resources. What a remarkable deal. The United States purchased Alaska from Russia in 1857 for $7.2 million. That's two cents an acre. Alaska achieved U.S. statehood on January 3rd, 1959. At noon, we board the Norwegian cruise line Encore, a massive ocean liner. This is my second cruise, the first being the Queen Mary II back from England. Our stateroom is nicely appointed with a bottle of champagne. From our balcony, I watch the fuel barge filling the ship's fuel tanks. Our week-long adventure features southeastern Alaska, sometimes called the Panhandle of Alaska. Our captain and ship will take us to Juneau, Icy Straits, Glacier Bay, and Ketchikan, stopping in Victoria, B.C., on the way back. I hear the fans roar from Lumen Field, just south of our pier, as the Seahawks score against the Cardinals. And then a few minutes later, there's another more gentle roar, the extra point achieved, I presume. It's a gorgeous sunny day, and the city is alive. Ferries work their way to Bainbridge Island and beyond, lots of boats. There's a great mood on board, a time to relax, to get away, to meet new people, and to learn about distant places. Good mind food all. At five o'clock, and after a safety check at our assigned drill station, we feel the ship's massive bow thrusters and engines pull us from the dock. We're off and at sea for the next day and a half, up the coast of Vancouver Island, and then British Columbia, and later into the Inland Passage until we reach Juneau. The Norwegian ship is impressive in so many ways. Its size, efficiency, comfort, crew, etc. For this trip, it's 60% full of passengers eager to check out Alaska before the dark of winter sets in. We're cutting it close. Nice to be inside, pampered and well-fed. Juno and whale watching. Alaska's key industries are petroleum, tourism, fishing, timber, and mining. It is one of the five states with no sales tax. Oil revenues are dominant. Juneau is the state's capital. It's the only capital city that is inaccessible by road. You must either fly in or come by boat. Railroads don't make it here either. We dock downtown. The famous Mendenhall Glacier is just outside town. I've been there in 1988 when I came to Juneau as the keynote speaker for the Alaska Craftsman Conference in the cold of winter. Whales hold such a mystique. We bust to Auk Bay Harbor, where we board a small whale-watching boat. Captain Tom and naturalist Brandon take good care of us for a few hours. I am struck by the excitement that whale-watching creates. Whale at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. This was no bust. We spent a precious few hours with about a dozen humpbacks. These are the locals and they come back year after year. Brandon can point out specific whales. They've all got nicknames. They feed here all summer before heading to Hawaii in winter to mate. Reportedly, they navigate the 2,800-mile journey within one compass degree. Remarkable. When feeding, the humpbacks take big gulps of seawater laden with fish and plankton and then push out the water through their sieve-like baleen structures. Technically, 
They use keratinaceous baleen plates, or whalebone, to sieve planktonic creatures. They feed up in Alaska and then head off to Hawaii for the winter. There, the male whales show off to the females by breaching and making a big show. Other whales, such as orcas, have teeth and use them liberally. They're the tough guys of the seas. Humpbacks can be, get as big as 50,000 pounds. Females are larger than males. Baby whales, known as calves, weigh a ton when born, and within a year are on their own. Whales can live as long as 90 years. They blow plumes of steam as they clear out their blowholes for more air before submerging for about four minutes or so. We learn a bit about their personalities. These gentle giants are sometimes even mischievous and with a sense of humor, notes Brandon. They certainly create excitement on board as we dash from one point to the other. Many cameras trained indeed. All ages find something wondrous about whales. Icy Straits and Salmon the Alaskan rainforest is large and largely undeveloped. In southeast Alaska, there are hundreds of islands, 15,000 miles of coastline, over 19 million land acres, and over 5 million acres of pristine, old-growth rainforest. We learn that the largest temperate rainforest in the world is the Tongass National Forest in Alaska, about 26,250 square miles. We grow accustomed to heavily forested shorelines and steep hillsides marked with streams and waterfalls. To our fellow passengers' chagrin, nearly all shore excursions, from whale watching to kayaking and zip lining, are canceled due to weather, a cold and driving rain. It's really unappealing outside that day. I love kayaking, but in this cold water and these conditions, the thought alone makes me shudder. We do, however, brave the elements and go ashore. We take a gondola to Huna, the site of a former canning factory. Leaving the shelter of the gondola, with winds picking up and rain in the face, we turn a corner along the shoreline and are hit with more driving rain in the face. Nasty. White caps on the strait. In short order, we visit a salmon cannery, now a museum. The factory is interesting. Even gory with artistic depictions of the process of taking a salmon and ultimately putting it in a vacuum-sealed can, we learn about the five types of salmon, all from the family Salmonidae, and how their names can be related to the fingers on our hands. We start with the thumb. Chum rhymes with thumb. The pointer finger often socks us in the eye, right? That's sockeye. The middle finger stands tall like a king, king salmon. The ring finger carries silver rings, coho. The pinky, pink salmon. Now what about can, canned salmon? Dosen explains that it's just like canned tuna. Made me think, wow, canned tuna took off. Salmon is certainly not a common lunch meat. The gray, ominous skies underscore this wild country. It's hard to imagine settling here years ago. These imposing mountains and waterways, the dark, of a long cold winter. All these thoughts from the warmth and luxury on board our ship. Talkative we are and make, we make lots of friends. Hot tub in the cold rain, eat and drink an ungodly amount. We really enjoyed sharing some of their honeymoon time with our new buds, Zach and Lucy. Glacier Bay and Glaciers. Alaska has around 100,000 glaciers. 
fully 5% of its land area is covered in glacial snow and ice. The glaciers range from tiny cirque glaciers to huge valley glaciers. And as with many other parts of the world, Alaska's glaciers are experiencing alarming levels of decline. Fully 95% of its glaciers are thinning, stagnating, or retreating. Worldwide, glacial melt will cause sea levels to rise. In Alaska, its lake-terminating glaciers are retreating fastest. Bear Glacier retreated three miles from 1984 to 2021. Just 250 years ago, Glacier Bay was all glacier and no bay. Its ice jutted out into icy straits. It was a massive river of ice 100 miles long. Today it has retreated, leaving a dozen smaller tidewater glaciers, the Reed Glacier, Lamplug Glacier, Rendu Glacier, and the Grand Pacific Glacier. When Captain George Vancouver sailed here in 1795, the glacier had melted back five miles into Glacier Bay. When John Muir visited Glacier Bay in 1879, the glacier had retreated 40 more miles up into the bay. Today, you must travel 65 miles up the bay to view the Tidewater Glaciers. We do that. Through Icy Strait, into Sitka, Ade Strait, then Glacier Bay, and ultimately the John Hopkins Inlet. We are now in Glacier Bay National Park, the mighty ship gliding quietly in spectacular surroundings. We go to the bow of the ship. Glacier Bay's waters are a rich green color. It's where several glaciers make their way to the sea. These are tidewater glaciers, gradually flowing to the ocean where they meet salt water and calve. At Glacier Bay, we dead end at the John Hopkins Glacier. What a view. There, the ship's azipods are used to spin the ship slowly on its axis again and again to give all on board countless photo ops. Instead of a conventional and straight propeller shaft, these ships use azipods that are like jet engines that hang below the ship and that can spin 360 degrees to steer the ship. As a result, these huge ships that draw only 27 feet can now maneuver in tight conditions that used to require tugboats. The ships can even go in reverse. Bow thrusters are used to move the bow in or out away from the docks. Our ship also has massive stabilizers that are computer controlled to minimize rocking back and forth when in rough seas. Underwater, they're like wings of an airplane and have a 15-foot span that is hydraulically controlled. Glacier Bay National Park is made up of 3 million protected acres just west of Skagway. It's part of a 25 million acre World Heritage Site. It's one of the world's largest protected natural areas. It's wild country. Brown and black bears, as well as grizzlies and moose, roam the park. Ketchikan and lumber. Trees they have in Alaska. Fully 35% of the entire state is forested. That percentage leaps to 48% in southeast Alaska. Forests here are made up of western hemlock, Sitka spruce, mountain hemlock, and Alaskan yellow cedar. Alaska's interior forests are made up of white spruce, birch, and poplars. Lots of trees abound. Why? Ketchikan gets 149 inches of rainfall annually. Los Angeles' average is 
11.7 inches. We dock at Ward's Cove and at the site of a defunct pulp and paper mill. The mill had run around the clock since 1954, converting timber, wood chips, and other wood products into wood pulp. That is then used to produce paper, cardboard, and other products. Production has gradually shifted overseas. The Alaska Pulp Company shut down its Sitka plant four years earlier. The Forest Service entered into a 50-year contract with the Ketchikan Pulp Company in 1951 to support local jobs by harvesting Alaskan timber resources and turning them into pulp. With that contract soon to expire, in 1996, Louisiana Pacific announced the plant's closure. That was in March of 1997. It was the last pulp mill in Alaska to close. Fully 500 workers lost their jobs. Ward's Cove is just a few miles from Ketchikan, and we bust there. Ketchikan is the fourth largest city in Alaska, after Anchorage, Fairbanks, and Juneau. It's the totem pole capital of the world. Ketchikan only has 8,000 people and four stoplights. It boasts a Walmart and a McDonald's. You can feel the infusion of cash from the cruise ship tourists to the Ketchikan economy. I know we dropped $100. We take photos of fishing boats and walk to Creek Street, a charming street once Ketchikan's red light district. Otters play in the creek. Certainly looks like you could buy a house here for not much money. The airport is across the waterway. Apparently you ferry to the terminal. There's lots of seaplane activity. We meet the sisters, who are following their tradition and traveling together as they like to, Paula and Erica, on the loose, leaving their loved ones at home in Rhode Island. We share hearty laughs and talk about how wonderfully disconnected we are from the news, from CNN. Alaska and oil. Thankfully, we never see oil facilities on our cruise, other than tankers plying the waters, likely running Alaska oil from Valdez to refineries in Washington and California. But we know that oil is a big deal in Alaska. It's part of the story indeed. Oil and gas are the state's largest industry, the largest component of Alaska's economy. That said, Alaska is number six in oil production by state, following Texas, North Dakota, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Colorado. But it's all relative. Fully 85% of Alaska's state budget is supplied by oil revenues. The Trans-Alaska Pipeline System, TAPS, just turned 45 years old. The 48-inch, 803-mile pipeline transports 3.86 of the nation's oil, bracing temperatures that range from negative 80 degrees to 95 degrees Fahrenheit. Great care was taken not to disrupt the permafrost and to allow for wildlife passage. Spanning Alaska taps includes the pipeline itself, 11 pump stations, several hundred miles of feeder lines, and the Valdez Marine Terminal. It was in August of 1977 that the first vessel sailed out of the Valdez Marine Terminal full of Alaska North Slope crude blends. There have been oil leaks along the pipeline, and then, of course, the massive Axon Valdez oil spill in 1989. Then a super tanker hit Prince William Sound's Bly Reef, releasing over 10 million gallons of oil, impacting 1,300 miles of shoreline. Taps reached peak flow in 1988, and since then has declined. 
The oil industry claimed that the pipeline system was less efficient with less oil, so for years it has pushed for more oil production. The lack of oil production and lessened pipeline flow was fueling the push to drill for oil in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Currently, Alaskan oil producers extract around 159 million barrels a year. At times, it was delivering 1.5 million barrels a day, nearly 25% of U.S. oil production. Between 1990 and 2020, oil production in Alaska was cut in half. Why? Oil development is expensive and controversial in Alaska. Furthermore, fossil fuel investors have been shifting their focus to what they perceive to be more profitable alternatives, especially shale and tight oil basins in the lower 48. Reflections. The last day and night we head south, the long road home. This time the clouds have lifted. A dark shroud has been relieved. We're now able to see the wild British Columbia coastline. There's a spirit of camaraderie on the ship. We pass freighters and tankers and fishing vessels. Gads, what an adventure. Far from backpacking and sailing Zephyr with Rob and Maine. We'd seen so much. Almost every night we watched a show, Kinky Boots, The Choir of Man, The Boot Beals Invasion, the latter of which had us all singing together at the top of our lungs. Midpoint, I forgot what day of the week it was. The ship turns to port as we round the southern tip of Vancouver Island. The sun is setting with bursts of light created by rain showers in the distance. We dock in Victoria quite late in the evening and just for a few hours. Terry and I stay on board and reminisce about our travels there some years ago, starting off in the Olympic National Park and then in Victoria, renting a small boater boat for the two of us to fully experience the vast straits of Juan de Fuca. Back to SeaTac, Alaska Airlines to Bob Hope, Uber home. There's only one thing better than getting away, and that's getting home. We pick up the pooch. The cats are most happy to see us. Time to unpack, do laundry, check out photos. Certainly our getaway adventure took us inside some, some of Alaska's great nature. The panhandle has whetted our Alaskan appetite. We saw big mountains, big glaciers, and big weather. The rain and dark skies were in sober contrast to the brilliance we've had in Seattle and that we're used to here in Los Angeles. There's so much water and wildlife, so much majestic beauty. We appreciate that many Alaskans are living the harsh realities of living on America's last frontier. We are primed now to come back and explore Alaska more in summer. I want to go to Denali National Park to visit my cousin in Homer and perhaps raft some of Alaska's wild rivers. Our memories are certainly painted with locations and more so colored by people. The ship's wonderful staff are Stuart Carlo, fellow passengers on elevators and hot tubs at the bar. So many random encounters, just plain fun. We met a couple who used to be in our Tai Chi school, a spine surgeon from New Hampshire, Tony and his gal from Hawaii, my bud Carlos from Florida, Zach and Lucy will be friends for a long time. I just love the image of joking with Rose Lee from the Bahamas at the Johns Hopkins Glacier. Her life and bragging rights would be complete if she could see a whale. We send her our video that she says might work well. Just the proof she needs. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.